0: I get a call one day from this um, 40-year-old gentleman who calls me and says that I need to see you right away. What's the problem? I'm totally disorganized, and because of my disorganization, I I can't function. Lately, I um, got an inheritance, and because of the inheritance, it put me out completely. I'm in bed. I can't get out. I'm totally unable to function. I can't. Can you see me right away? I said, of course, come over and we'll talk. He comes into my office and for two hours he told me a story of constraint, of how debilitating it was for him to be disorganized. Not knowing what to do first, second, not to be able to start anything because not knowing how to do it. And uh, how the story started is when he was a child and he was always hearing from his parents, you know, why don't you organize your, your backpack? Why don't you organize your desk? Why don't you organize your room? Why don't you organize, organize? It was always about organization and he was not able to do it. So after two hours of listening to him and hearing him explain to me how difficult it was for him to function, I asked him, do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions? He said, no problem. I said, as an observant Jew, each morning when you get up, when you open your eyes, what do you do? He says, I get up and I go to shul, I go to I said, no. I want to know what it is that you do as soon as you open your eyes. It took him a while to understand exactly what I mean, but he got it. And he started telling me how he... Undresses, halachically, according to the Shulchan Aruch, the way you're supposed to undress. He then told me how he dresses. First, his undershirt, his underpants, the way he puts on his socks, his shoes, the way he ties his shoes, everything in order. I said, do you have a difficulty doing that? He said, absolutely not. So I said, what do you do next? He says, well, I go to shul and Dauden. I said, tell me, step by step, what do you do when you walk through the shul door? He says, I walk through the shul door, I put my talus and fillin down, I take my talus, I put it on my shoulders, check my tzitzit, I wrap myself in my talus, I make the blessing, after I'm done with doing that, I take my fillin out. I said, how many pairs of fillin do you use? He says, one. Okay. He then starts explaining how he wraps it around his left arm. He stops before he gets to his fingers, wrapping it around his fingers, and he puts it on his head. I said, do you ever make a mistake in continuing to put it on your fingers before you put it on the head? Absolutely not. Okay. I said, you open your sitter. Is your sitter organized for you? Do you know where to go on a Rosh Chodesh or any of the other holidays? He says, yeah, I, I know how to turn back pages. I said, we just passed Sukkot. Were you able to put the lulav together? Do you look for instructions how to do that? He says, absolutely not. I know how to do it. That's simple. Okay. I said, in a couple of months, it's going to be Pesach. What do you do on Pesach? How do you put together the Seder? He says, oh, I make the Seder. I said, no, no, no. Slow it down. I want to know step by step how do you do your Seder plate? And he started explaining step by step what he does with his Seder plate. And in the middle of the Seder plate, he looks at me and he says, I'm not disorganized. Who says I was disorganized? Moshe, let's call him Moshe. I said, Moshe, as an observant Jew, there are so many things in your life that just have to be organized. So what is it about your organization as a Jew that you haven't been noticing? Yeah. He says, I can't believe it. I, I am. I have a lot of organizational things that I do. And he started telling me of what are the things that he does as a Jew, as an observant Jew, that are very organized and very orderly in his life. It was another hour and a half after the two hours of him telling me about his disorganization, he took notes and left my room. Why am I telling you this story? We, as individuals, can live lives that are storied in different ways. We can have almost simultaneous stories existing in our lives. One that says I'm disorganized, while at the same time there's organization happening in our lives, but we're almost making it. We're minimizing it or almost making it invisible, for our ability to know that that's what we have. So had I told him, Moshe, you're a Jew, you know what organization is, and you and you're doing organization every day—the way you get up, the way you daven—all these things—he would said, "What are you talking about?" But after listening to himself talking about what it is that he does, he was able to come to that conclusion. So, the reason I'm telling you this story again is because as children growing up in our communities, when they have no story of success in their lives about their Yiddishkeit. They have no story of success that they are successful Yerusha Mayim, successful Davners, successful learners. Their story is that they failed the Gemara test because when they came home and they showed their father their Gemara test, the father says, What's the matter? You you couldn't pass the test? You 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 couldn't work hard enough to make the test work? I don't understand. What happened? And their story becomes a story of their Yiddishkeit as an unsuccessful endeavor. Now, I'm only talking about the percentage of the boys and girls, young men and young women in the observant community that have been affected by these stories of lack of success in their Yiddishkeit. And it's maybe about five 10, 15, 20, up to 30% of different yeshivas in different parts of the world. The way I found out, for example, of of these percentages, I would continually talk to um, different graduates of yeshivas, boys' yeshivas and girls' yeshivas. And I'm not saying that these percentages are accurate, but they're approximate. Where I would talk to a young man or a young woman, I'd say, how many... Kids graduated from your high school. And they would say to me, um, uh, 30, 40, how many remained from? They would say about 80%, 85%, 90%, maybe 95%, depending where they were. And in talking to these kids who have not been successful as a therapist in my own practice, what they were telling me is that they didn't feel they can do things successfully as, quote, observant Jews. And most of us, when we are not successful in what we do, we look for places where we, where we can be successful. So here you have a, a um, community of children growing up, and mind you, there is a large part of the yeshiva community, and yeshiva meaning boys and girls, that are growing up successfully and are observant. But my intention in talking to you is about how do we create success for the kids that have been feeling like they're marginalized in their ability to do well in their Jewish story. So I just want to say to you that there is a concept called narrative psychology. And this narrative psychology believes that People are constructed by stories of who they are. You know, I'm OCD. I'm, I'm a depressed person. You know, people have stories of who they are. The way those stories are constructed is by words. Words that others in their environment have been telling them. So when you say to a child, don't be lazy. You shoot your lazy kid sometimes. So, when they grow older, they have a story that says, I'm lazy. It's like our disorganized story. He grew up with a story that says, I'm disorganized. And that almost constrained his own life. While at the same time, there was a minimization and almost made invisible the fact that he had parts of him that were totally organized. That he needed to make visible so as a therapist, I would, you know, in that case, I would, as I described, make visible for him the fact that he has capacity and ability to be organized. Because as people, we're not all of anything. There are parts of us that may be constrained by different areas in our lives. And there are parts of us that we may have totally not paid attention to, or minimized, or as I said, made invisible, that we're not paying attention to. But as kids grow up in our communities, we have to think about how it is that we can create for them stories of success in their Judaism. So it's about words we use when we talk to our children. If it's about thinking what are the words we are using when we are talking to our children. When you talk to your children with words that are deflating their enthusiasm in Judaism, where our intentions are good, our intentions are to make children successful, but when we use words that are less than that, that are making them feel like they can't really make it, that's when we create stories of no success and it becomes very difficult. A young man, about 17 years old, comes into my office and tells me that I'm not smart. He's not smart. I said, what tells you you're not smart? He says, well, it started when I was in fourth grade. My math teacher... Made a red mark across my math test and said, Billy, not smart. That was dot number one. When I brought it home to my mom, my mom looked at me and said, You know what, Billy, it's okay, just do your best. And I would hear it from my dad occasionally for my siblings, then an uncle. You know, he's a nice boy, Billy, but not too smart. Not smart. So here I am, I'm 17, and I don't want to go to an Ivy League college. I want to get myself a, um, you know, uh, electrical diploma or something. I want to become an electrician or maybe computer school. I don't want to go uh, to an Ivy League college. My parents want me to go to an Ivy League college. But I'm, not, uh, I'm, I'm smart enough to know that I need to go to just a uh, you know, trade school. So then I talk to him a little bit more. And he starts telling me that the two things that he does well, he's, he's a great writer. But that's like a gift I have. That's not my effort. It's like somebody who's tall. Do you reward him for being tall? It's a godly gift. There are people who are short, and there are people who are tall. It's not, it's not smart. I'm just gifted in my writing. Okay. I said, what else do you do well in? He says, well, I have a good memory, so I do well in history. But that's facts. It's not smarts. When it gets to smarts, I get lost. Geometry, math, I'm lost. But history, I remember. I get top marks. Because my memory is good, it's facts, and I know facts. So he makes a decision that says, I'm not going to an Ivy League college. So this young man is not observant, his problem is not a yeshiva problem, but suppose that that young man is a yeshiva boy who says, I'm just not doing well in Gemara. I'm not doing well in Chassidus. In, 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 in I'm not doing well in, in my davening. I'm not doing well in any of my areas. Why am I going to continue in my higher studies to go to yeshiva to get smicha or to make a career out of my learning? I'm just going to go and to a trade school. I'm going to go into business, a business school. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to do something. But I'm not going to continue with my, quote, Yiddishkeit studies. So, how is that created? What happens to a child like that? Because a teacher says something with words that are powerful, that are influential. A parent believes it and quotes it after them. You know, yeah, you didn't do well in your Gemara test. It's okay, you can keep trying. But you have such a your good head if you would only make an effort. Which tells a child, that means I don't know how to make an effort. If I don't know how to make an effort, I'm, I'm not successful in being able to do well in my Gemara tests. So the words we keep using are words that are destructive in our children's lives about how they make sense of who they are in their yiddishkeit, or in their menschlichkeit, or in their success as human beings. And these are words and stories that are constructed by kids, especially kids who are what I would call intense. They're kids that have some difficulty in how they're doing in school, in their relationship at home, in their relationship with friends, there are things that are not working well for them. Because you have to understand, if you have a more or less functioning child who has great home environment with the total support system working well, no general harmful words that will be destructive in his life or her life, and the school environment is working well, he's got a lot of friends, he's... He's he's popular. Things are going well for them. So when suddenly a disruption happens with words that can be very dis- destructive, they can handle it. They can make it and continue in their lives as productive human beings, as productive learners, Davners, Yerushamayim, and their lives go on. But if a child has some form of difficulty in the way their lives are constructed, and what it is that's going on contextually for them, then the discourse that they're listening to, in other words, the voices that they're listening to, start affecting them in a much more powerful way. And it is very powerful for a child when they feel that they're successful in doing something, for example, if they're successful in math, if they're successful in davening, if they're successful in learning, they have a pride. And if they have a pride about what it is that they're doing, you almost can't shake them away from it. But if they don't have that pride, because they're not successful, because words have been heard by them that have made them again marginalized or have, have insinuated that they're not successful... And by well-meaning parents, this is not an attack on parents. This is not an attack on teachers. It's something we're used to saying. We, this is the way we speak. It's the way we've been educated. We almost say it automatically, meaning well, but it ends up being something that doesn't work. So how do we do this? So if you look into your first source over here, it says... Moves v'chaim haloshim. King Solomon says it. The Torah says it. In in our words is death and life. In the things that we say is what can construct us or what or what can destruct us. So we have to be careful with what comes out of our mouths. And by being careful we can help the children that are at risk or that are not so successful and actually if you're careful with your words the kids that are successful we can inspire their lives to a greater extent and make them even more successful than they are and that they're and more successful than they were going to be if we inspire them with the right words so this is our first exposure to this thinking I'm going to continue we are welcoming any kind of comments you wanna make if you wanna ask some questions we will try to answer them and next week we will talk about how it is that we can construct lives that will be successful and practical ways to do that so that children can flourish and can follow the values of the lives that we cherish so much and that they don't exit the doors that are unfortunately sometimes exited by them. Have a good evening.